Good morning. It is nine o'clock and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus pandemic in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse Mondays and Wednesdays at 9 a.m. on KOPN and all episodes can be found online at KOPN.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the show, our host Jenny Chadwick is joined by April Farrow, parent community student advocate here in Columbia. They'll discuss the data April pulls together, together on CPS rates and making schools safe during the pandemic. Good morning, April. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. And good morning, Jenny. What's on your mind this morning? Oh, so much as always, <laughs> Mallory. And April, again, thank you so much for being here with us. Happy to do so. So as we start the show, always with Matthew Holloway's data, Matthew reported that there was um, 1,268 cases of COVID-19 identified yesterday, um, February the 9th, and that brings our state total to 519,165. So as we look at the, you know, seven-day average, we're looking at about 1,300 cases identified per day. And I know our listeners will remember back in mid-November to December, we were reporting over 5,000 identified cases per day. So that's significantly gone down, although, you know, there's still question about the rapid antigen test versus um, the PCR test. And so we don't know fully how many positive tests we're getting in um, the state of Missouri, but we, overall, when we look at both number of new cases and deaths per day and hospital rates, we're seeing a downward trend. And so there was only 32 identified deaths. And I I should not say only. There was 32 Missourians that died yesterday of COVID-19. And so um, we are still losing loved ones from this pandemic on a daily basis, Um Nothing like we saw at the peak of over 100 per day, but but still um, significant numbers. And so when we look at all of the numbers that are coming in, um, we know that they're having impact on our political decisions. And so April has been tracking the Columbia Public School data for quite some time. And April, I want you to share um, to our listeners, where you're acquiring the data that you're sh- that you're bringing together first. So, to give them a big picture idea, maybe just tell us a little bit about why was this data important to you personally. Well, I actually I'm I'm quite the data nerd, and actually, when COVID all started, um, I have a whiteboard in my kitchen and I would write numbers down um, (laughs) all the way back in January and was just playing with different numbers and stuff. When things um, started picking up here, um, probably back in uh, the fall sometime, I started looking at what our numbers were here and what our numbers looked like in school age. And one of the reasons why I did that was because I kept hearing how um, we were number one in the 10 to 19 um, age group. And my contention was most of those 18 and 19 year olds are not in our schools. So Mm -hmm. I wanted to see what does that actually look like. And so to clarify with our listeners, Mm -hmm. number one meant that that 18 to 24 year old age range had the highest number of cases in Boone County per day. 
correct? Well, they had it, the state had it qualified by 10 to 19-year-olds. And so they were including 18 and 19-year-olds that are in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were using that data to say, you know, our school-age kids, 10 to 19 are our highest infection rates in Boone County. And I was like, you can't include those because there was a big chunk of them um, because our biggest increase in Boone County was usually the 18 to 24-year-old group. And so I wanted to start breaking that down. And so I initially started looking at um, just Boone County data. Um, and I pull that from the Boone County Hub. I pull the total, I go and break down um, the new cases per day, per age, um, because they have that data there. I look at the positivity rate that they also have listed there. And then in October, um, the district started publishing a chart that shows um, exactly how many positives and quarantines they have on a particular day. So I pull my report together by going out and getting all the Boone County data and recording how many cases there were in, you know, eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds or whatever. And then I also pull together how many um, positives and quarantine cases have been recorded um, by CPS to get a picture of what does that mean within CPS itself um, and track kind of what that rises. And I don't just look at whatever was recorded for that day. I generally go back and recount everything for about three weeks because as data comes in, the data will change because mm-hmm. while people are being notified that they're either positive or a close contact, those numbers don't necessarily make it to a person inputting the data on that exact same day. So you have to go back and look and see if other days have changed in that time period. And so I started putting it together like that so I could kind of wrap my head around what was the um, real picture, what kind of trends we had going on, um, and just more to get a better clarifying picture of, of what was going on. Okay, so on the Columbia Public School website, and we Mm -hmm. will make sure in the show um, notes that all of these links are there, we know that there's the dashboard that gives the hub for the 14-day rate and the staff Mm -hmm. rates and the student rate. Um, So tell us a little bit about the data you were seeing there, and then what is that next step that you do with it? So what I do, first of all, what I do is I wait until um, it's generally after 4.30 p.m. that all that information is updated by uh, CPS. Mm -hmm. Uh, The uh, the, uh, county comes out with their numbers at about 4 p.m. And around 4.30 or after, you know, depending on, you know, what's going on, I'm sure, with the employee who does that, they update the CPS tracker. And then they input any new numbers for staff and students and um, update. Now they have the sub-fill rate, (coughs) the number of substitutes needed, and the number of substitutes that they were able to um, actually get to fill those positions. 
Um, one of the reasons why I look at it at that time is because rightfully so, they have a process set up where if you put in a positive case on, you know, January 8th, on January 19th, that person automatically falls off their numbers because they've reached that 10-day isolation mark. So at the beginning of every day, you're going to see lower numbers than what you saw the night before because mm-hmm. you have people that automatically fell off. But, but they haven't the added people, in their new cases. They haven't yeah. added in their new people. And you know that, you know, last night some kids or teachers were probably called and said, oh, hey, you know, you're a close contact. But they haven't made it onto the chart yet. So I always like to look at it at the end of every day to compare the end of every day with the previous day. And so what I do is I go out and I check what the tracker was, and I compare that to the day before. Um, I compare positivity rates um, because those also change within the county over time on Friday Last week's positivity rate was recorded at 20%, but if you look at it today, it's recorded at 24.5%, I believe. Um, So those numbers change over time. And then I've been recording a weekly breakdown of how many staff members have been recorded as positive and quarantined and how many students have been recorded as positive and quarantined just to kind of see, you know, um, how does that relate? Is there any um, correlation between being in school and not in school, in, in seat? Um, and yeah, how does so, that number? And that's a question that we've had, right? Like, is bringing the students into that two-day-a-week hybrid model going increasing the rates that we're seeing in Boone County? And so I did notice on the, the tracker that you're doing, you note the day that we went two-day and then the days that we went back to, you know, uh, totally right. remote, and then the days that we go back to that four-day in-person for our K-5 and two-day in-seek for our middle school and, and the high school. So I'm curious, as you look at the data, you know, as mm-hmm. we're seeing national trends go down in the past, you know, I would say almost months now, and I don't want to jinx anything, what are you seeing within the CPS data? Because, you know, as we know, on January the 18th, we brought students back in seat. Right. And so that is um, pretty interesting with students. My opinion is uh, what, what was really interesting is that um, for the week of December 7th, we had 53 mm-hmm. positive students. Well, we were all virtual. Um, right. The only students that were in buildings were any um, uh, in specialized classrooms and things like that. Um, so that was during a time where we didn't have people Uh, students in the building. Um, But when we returned the week of the 18th and the week of the 25th, we had 56 and 57 positive cases. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say that that is a huge sway at all. Where you see the biggest impact is the quarantines um, because you have Mm -hmm. more people together. Um, Mm -hmm. So at this point, we're seeing uh, more uh, quarantine numbers um, because, of course, more people are being considered close contacts. We're still not up to our height of quarantine students, which was while they were at elementary 
um, four days a week, which was 332 in November. One of the uh, encouraging things kind of in And let me clarify that Uh just in case, because I think that that's an important number. So in the early part of November, we hit our record number of quarantine students. So there was 332 quarantine students in November. And, and, and go ahead now, just so that yes, that's we so we had been in. Um, they had been in elementary for about two full weeks, and mm-hmm. um, at that point, then 332 students were quarantined uh, that week. Uh, last uh, the week of uh, January 25th, we just had <laughs> just had 246 students at this point. That number could potentially still change. There, there can be a little bit of a fluctuation going back a couple of weeks. But one of the, I, I suppose one of the encouraging things that I'm, I am seeing, and I think it goes along with probably our community positivities, or not positivity rate, but our community number of positives going mm-hmm. down. Positive cases, that, correct. Um, the staff numbers um, are going down. Um, for positive cases, uh, we went back in seat on uh, the 19th, like you said, and there were nine cases. It's been nine, five, and seven. Um, so actually, when we were not in seat, um, we had some higher numbers. And, of course, that goes along with we had higher cases in the community um, at that time. And our quarantines for staff are, are generally staying um, pretty similar. Now, our highest number of positive staff members were when um, the the week that they went back to virtual. I believe they went back to virtual on November 16th. And uh, for that week, there were 25 um, positive staff members. So they would have likely been exposed the week before. That doesn't necessarily mean they were exposed at school. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, there were there were more cases. Uh, yeah, that we week. know that that week the cases per ten thousand in Columbia school district, not at the school, but just within in the region, was the highest that it has been um, in the entire you know time right. for COVID. Right. Exactly. And so, I mean, I think that um, definitely there is um, merit to the uh, theory that what happens in our schools is mirroring or tracking along with what is also happening in our community. Um, Now, I would say schools are not certainly super spreaders, um, Mm -hmm. but to think that there can be absolutely no spread between a student or uh, a staff member and a student um, that that just doesn't even hold water. I mean, that would right. mean that the virus says to itself, I've hit a building and so I'm not going to infect anybody. And then <laughs> eight hours later, it reactivates itself. I mean, that, that it just doesn't even make sense. <laughs> right. I mean, and we know by bringing people together in any situation, we we are 
having the potential of exposing them to the virus. And and I think, April, you know, I know I've heard Dr. Siegelman say it. I know you have. And, and it, it, that what we're seeing in the Columbia Public School is mirroring what we see in the community as far as spread. But, you know, when we as a family don't literally leave our house, <laughs> unless, you know, my daughter who's in high school, unless she's going to school, then obviously that's an increased risk to our family. Right. Exactly. I mean, I am, um, I'm in the high risk category. My mother lives with us. She is definitely in the high risk category. Uh, my student, my um, senior and sophomore are in seat. Um, mm-hmm. And they certainly are concerned, not necessarily for getting it themselves. Um, although I think my senior is a, a little bit um, because we know of long-term effects that athletes um, have had, and he's an athlete. So he does have some concerns there, but his bigger concern is uh, potentially bringing it home uh, mm-hmm. to us. And I think a lot of our students have that concern um, as well. And so you having that firsthand knowledge and experience of a student going into the classroom, I'm mm-hmm. curious, you know, what their reflection has been to you on um, what's happening within the schools, how, how it feels, mask wearing and, and such. Yes. Um, they, um, they both report, you know, that, yep, the students are wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't seen anybody you know, kind of doing the whole refusal thing or being defiant with that. Uh, Sometimes they see someone whose mask has slipped down um, Mm -hmm. and it's pretty quickly corrected. They feel um, very um, spaced out in their classrooms. Um, So that is, they, they have a comfort level there. I think overall they have a comfort level on the safety now my senior is only half days so he doesn't um stay for lunch Mm -hmm. Um, my sophomore does stay for lunch and he eats in the gymnasium um, and they're spaced out i believe six feet apart and he seems to feel pretty comfortable with that and of course he eats with uh, students that are already pretty well in his bubble that he uh, has been hanging out with uh, throughout this entire time time period. Mm-hmm. Um, and my sophomore is uh, on the track team. He hasn't, they have been very diligent about mask wearing and hand sanitizing. And so overall, I think they feel safe. They have both expressed that right now they would not feel safe going back four days in seat because they would be way too close together in their classrooms with the number of students that would be in their classrooms. And I think that right now being the hybrid model and allowing that distance between students because only half of the students are in the classroom, it does, you know, that is a public health major that we know is successful at preventing the spread, that distance. And um, you mentioned the track team. I'm curious, are they wearing masks during practice? So they um, typically wear masks during their Mm warm-ups and um, during stretches and things like that. If when they start running, like my son does his, um, he does 
the sprints, sprints. And so when they um, do sprints, uh, they take their masks off. So when they're and that's in an outdoor setting. Uh, yes, it is in an outdoor setting. Um, they've been practicing outdoors. Uh, sometimes, uh, depending on the weather, they run the hallways, but they put them in um, smaller groups. Like he might just run against three, maybe three other guys mm-hmm. um, t- together. And in fact, a couple of times he actually ran with his mask on because he forgot to take it off, <laughs> which, you know, is fine. Soccer did a great job of separating out um, students for practices, um, and they had to stay in their practice pods um, mm-hmm. and stay, you know, six feet away from each other. Um, I, and that's very hard to do when you get that number together trying to practice. Um, mm-hmm. But there was a lot of encouragement for that, and they always had masks. Um, when they were running the field in a scrimmage, they would take their masks off. But warm-ups and things like that, they, they've been wearing their masks. And, April, I think this is such an interesting conversation. I received an email from the um, ARC, um, Activity and Recreation Center for Columbia, and it highlighted the fact that masks are not required indoors for exercising. And, and that's a part of our current um, health ordinance. Although, you know, what I find really interesting is, for instance, the entire state of Maryland requires people to wear masks indoors in gyms and when working out yet somehow columbia missouri can't yeah i think that um i i can see the rationale for not wearing it in certain maybe high intense activities but when you're doing you know stretching or you're doing you know, you're speed walking or you're walking mm-hmm. on a treadmill. You're not doing a major tra- training, a major marathon. Um, I, 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 you can wear masks for a lot of exercising activities, riding a bike. You should be able to wear a mask. Um, I could see maybe in certain situations, and it's the same with eating and drinking. You know, right. if I, and I haven't eaten in a restaurant. Um, in uh, uh, forever, a long time now. <laughs> I I can't remember um, the last time I ate inside a restaurant. I've walked in and picked up food, um, mm-hmm. but I can't remember the last time I actually ate inside one. Um, but you know, you you don't have to wear a mask to eat and drink, and and uh, obviously to a certain extent that makes sense. But I have been to a soccer game where I'm wearing a mask and I have a drink with me. Um, I don't take my mask off. I just simply raise my mask, take a sip of my drink and put my mask back down. Mm-hmm. I don't need to take off my mask to take a drink of my soda. Um, I would envision the same thing if I'm eating, raise my mask and put the fork in my mouth. I mean, so I, I don't see how complicated that is. <laughs> to the CPS data. So the health, order that we're currently working under expires on this coming up Tuesday. Yes. And the the county health department has stated in news media that they are considering changing that health order given the numbers. And right. the health order requires a mask and it requires bars to close at 10:30 p.m. Given where we are with the Columbia Public School data, what is your thought about lifting some of the restrictions that we currently have when we don't have students fully in seat? 
Yeah, um, that is that is a tough one um, because our numbers tend to say, "Hey, we've been tracking pretty well the last couple of weeks. Um, we've been in double digit increases in the county as opposed to triple digit increases." Five-day average is really lowering. Um, at the same time, are we testing enough? Are we getting the results enough? Are we really getting the right picture? And, you know, it's one of those that it sort of makes sense to maybe ease a few things. But at the same time, there's the concern that are we easing to quickly and I have no inclination as to what they might be um, thinking you know does that look like we're gonna let places stay open another half an hour or are we gonna or lift midnight or everything till... up yeah. and mm-hmm. you know we've seen there's been pictures all over social media we've seen groups of people um, just standing on the sidewalk waiting to get into a place um, with no masks on, all next to each other, chit-chatting and talking and whatnot. But we haven't seen a huge spike in cases um, since the students came back. And not that everybody that is waiting are are students, but it's in that age group of the 18 Mm -hmm. to 24-year-olds, and we haven't seen a huge spike there. Um, So... You know, it's it's. I think it's somewhat of a conundrum. I think we have to be very tight about it. You know, if they are going to lift something, I think it needs to be done in steps and stages, and that we need to be really watching the numbers and trends. A one-day spike isn't something to get concerned about. That could just simply be a data delay or a data dump. Um, but you want to look at a trend and be prepared to move swiftly if things double um you know so far we haven't been moving very swiftly in many categories i want to touch on vaccines really quickly in our last couple of minutes so missouri is still ranking dead last in the number of vaccines that we've distributed the new york times has reported that we have vaccinated just about 650,000 Missourians with, you know, we are in a state that has 6 million Missourians. So we have a long way to go to get there. Um, And the state did launch a new vaccine navigator. You can, it's a registry to let you know when you are eligible for a vaccine. And then it tells you about events that are you qualify for. So I, I know that there's been a lot of questions of what this navigator actually does, because I think that there's some hope or thought that the navigator will point you in the direction of getting a vaccine appointment. And so to clarify with everybody, um, it's covidvaccine.mo.gov forward slash navigator. The navigator simply registers you to identify which tier you're in and when your tier is open. And then it tells you about one of nine mass vaccine site events. So there's nine regions that Missouri has been um, broken up into. And and nobody was clear on whether Boone County even fell into one of those nine regions. So I want to be clear on that. (laughs) There there have been nine regional mass vaccine sites set up within the state, 
Clinton, Missouri is a current one. And I only know this because my parents were referred to the potential Clinton mass vaccination um, event when they tried to um, get an appointment. There was none available. Um, They were fortunate because they did also register on the MU Healthcare vaccine registration, and they received an email and got vaccinated on Saturday. But I will say the navigator from what I heard and what I, I called to, to get better understanding after my parents um, utilized the information. But the, the navigator registers you, notifies you when your tier is open, but then you still have to find a site to get that vaccine. It, it does not give you an appointment, but it does notify you when one of the mass vaccination sites is having an event, and then you in turn need to contact the mass vaccination site to see if you can get an appointment. April, what else have you heard about vaccines in this last minute that we have? Yeah, that uh, is a mess. Um, (laughs) And so that um, navigator uh, doesn't even tell you of the other options you have of places that you can get vaccinated. My mom is on the list for the MU1 as well. And I know people who live in Fenton that drove to Hannibal to get their vaccine. It's going to take forever at the rate that they're going just to get through um, this current tier, which I believe is tier one, tier, what are we on, 1B? Yeah, Um, and so when you say forever, we are vaccinating about 22,500 people per day. At this rate, it would take us 266 days to vaccinate the entire state. Yeah, because I read last night, it was 2.5 million that fall into this category. And by my calculations, a million of those could possibly just fall under being morbidly obese. Um, Okay, so we got to cut it. The data is so fascinating, but I am so glad that you joined me today. (laughs) Well, thank you for having me. I tend to go down data rabbit holes, so I enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jenny. Awesome. That's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Special thanks to our guest, April Farrow parent community student advocate here in Columbia. If you missed part of this program or want to share it with your friends, you can find it later today at kopn.org and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And of course, you can catch the show again live on Monday at 9 a.m. with host Dr. Elizabeth Alleman. As always, we invite you to share your questions with us as we plan for future episodes. Leave a message at 573-874-1139 or email gm at kopn.org. Thank you so much for tuning in to Community Pulse on KOPN 89.5 FM. 51% is up next. Stay tuned.